All right. Well, we are um, continuing today in this series, Made for More. And we started this, uh, I won't rehash this too much because we talked about it already quite a bit, but we started this back in January, and uh, we split it up, and we won't show the graph today, but we split it up, um, we said there's two parts to us, there's our primary calling and our secondary calling. Our primary calling is, is a calling that is on all of our lives. Every single person who's given their life to Jesus, you have this calling. It is, it is what defines us as Christians, it is what we are called to do as Christians, it is where we are sent as Christians, and that is, that is the same for all of us. The secondary calling is now looking more at our uniqueness. Um, none of us in this room um, are unique, and so we are all made differently. We all have a unique identity, and the same is true with our mission, what we are called to do and where we are best positioned to do it. And so what we want to do is we want to continue looking at um, this, and I hope that as we go through this, you're going to remember that we have to remain focused on our primary calling. This is not a way for us to abandon our primary calling and say, well, I'm just going to focus on our secondary calling. Um, we're going to build off of our primary calling in order to truly discover our secondary calling. I mentioned last week, and I want to really uh, reiterate this fact, and that is that this part of this series uh, is going to require you to do some homework. Uh, you're going to need to dig in. You can't open your Bible and, uh, you know, and find uh, the pages for Ike Unger and then a few pages down are the pages for uh, Maria Unger and then for the children of Ike and Maria Unger and then for you. The Bible isn't written that way. It doesn't outline any of our specifics, you know, a uniqueness. And so it's important for you then to look into, you know, yourself and to discover prayerfully who, how God has made you. And so I hope that you've taken some time to do that this week. Uh, we put the challenge out there last week for you to consider how you would be able to, you know, take a, take a personality test, for example, or take a spiritual gifts test. And, and I hope this week you've done that. I hope you've asked yourself some questions. And maybe through that you've learned some things about yourself. And now you're here today with that information. And now we're going to start talking about the next part of the series. And so as a caution, though, before we continue, I need to remind you that when we do this, and when we look at our identity, and when we look at our mission and our position, this is not a one-time fits-all. You know, you can't say, like, well, I did one uh, personality test, I, I did one spiritual gift test, I, I talked to some friends about what I'm good at, and, and now I've discovered it, and I'm 17 years old, and now, you know, 30 years later, that's still going to be exactly the same. Understanding our uniqueness requires an ongoing effort to understanding ourselves. God will do a work in you. And you're going to find yourself, um, over, the, over the years, all of a sudden you'll, you'll have noticed that your heart has changed. And you have, that's the work of God in your life. And, and so as God is working in our lives, we need to also understand that with that will come some changes in our lives. And we will need to continue to discover that. And so that's our B. That's, that's our identity. So there, I hope, again, like I said, you've taken some time this week to truly understand yourself. Now we want to look at the do. Um, our secondary calling, part of it is our unique mission. What are we called to do? So let me tell you the question that every single pastor gets asked many times. And this is the question that people continue to come to, and that is this. What is God's will for my life? That is a question that people have always wanted to know, that people are concerned about, and rightfully so. I think most of us assume that this will outline the rest of our lives. If, if you could help me discover what God's will is for my life, then 
it's like it sets me on a path and I'm in a, you know, in a direction and I know now what to do with the rest of my life because I've discovered God's will for my life. And so this, you know, this is this idea that once I've discovered God's specific will, now my, the rest of my life is set. Unfortunately, that's not how it works. And I have to tell you, I'm glad it isn't. Because it, it would, rather than sounding like God's will, it would sound like God's rut for my life. That I'm now in this thing and I have to, you know, continue on. So as we discover God's will, you're going to see more and more times, you're going you're gonna to realize that it isn't just this perfect outline now for the rest of my life. I remember when I was 21 years old, I wanted to know the answer to this question desperately. Um, I remember being in a place at work, and I just like, man, this can't be my, my life. This isn't, there's got to be more to my life than this. And so I would constantly be praying and asking God, and I would see these older people, and I would see especially um, you know, spiritual leaders, pastors, and they would appear to, that their life, they had it all figured out. They had it all you know, set. And man, I was like, if I could just know like those people, and I would desperately want to know what God's will is because I figured that if I could, if I could know that, then the rest of my life would be clear and outlined. And I saw that God's you know, will for my life was basically God's career plan for my life. That's how I viewed God's will for my life, that it was his, you know, his career path for me. So I picture that God either had option A, B, C available to me, and one of those was the right one. And so, you know, you can understand that as a new Christian, I didn't want to pick the wrong path. I didn't want to get on the wrong will, you know. I didn't want to choose, you know, if it's A, I want to choose A. If it's B, I want to choose B. And what if I choose a, but it's really B, and now I'm no longer part of God's will, and I'm committing a sin. And, it, and I think a lot of you can identify. I think a lot of us here today have a genuine desire to know God's will, and we want to be part of it, and we want to you know, um, understand His will and live according to His will, and, and we would hate to get it wrong. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about this and I really, I hope and I've been praying that this will help you clarify because I think a lot of us have this image that if we get the wrong one, if we don't get this right, then somehow we are living in disobedience to God. And so here's, here's a quote from uh, Todd Wilson that I, that I hope will kind of just help set the path to where we're going. He says this, what if I need to stop seeing my unique uh, mission as a single thing for a lifetime, but rather a sacred stewardship of the opportunities in front of me today? What if we would begin to revision, re-envision our mission? What if we would begin to look at our mission a little bit differently? See, mission is less about discovering our lifelong career than it is about living in such a way that God will use us where we are. And so we need to begin to see ourselves, and this goes back to our identity. We need to see ourselves as the right person at the right time at the right position. And we need to start seeing ourselves that way that God may not have a plan for our lives that directs us for the rest of our future. But in this moment, in this time, God wants to use us right where we are, who we are, and what we're doing. In Mark chapter 14, we see a very brief mention of a man um, who is easy to dismiss. We, we, as a matter of fact, I don't know if anybody's ever written a book about this man. I've never heard a sermon preached about this man. Um, and we can't blame um, you know, ourselves for overlooking him because he seems insignificant when you, when you consider who he is and what he does. And yet there he is. He's described, he's named, well, his name isn't given, but his description is given. And he was this man who was at the right place at the right time doing the right thing for a very, very important role. Look at Mark chapter 12, verses, uh, chapter 14, verses 12. 
Now, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was custom to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Important question. Verse 13. So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Who is this jar-carrying man? Now, we don't know. We have no idea who he is. We have no idea, you know, his name. And you may even be tempted to say, like, you're making way too big of a deal of this. After all, you know, what did he do? Think about it. What did this guy really do? Well, this nameless man led Jesus' disciples to a place where they would share one final meal. And you may remember, if you know your Bible, this final meal, this, this last meal, was a pretty important meal. It was a pretty big deal. This was where Jesus gave his disciples a new covenant. This was where they, passed over, uh, where they celebrated the Passover in a very new way. Instead of focusing on the Passover from Egypt into the promised land, now Jesus was saying, I'm giving you a new covenant. From here on, it is about what I'm going to do for you, moving from death to life through the sacrifice and the resurrection that I'm about to give you. And so he gave them this beautiful meal. Now, that's a significant moment in life. Did this man know the significance of that? Of course not. He had no idea what was going on. He didn't even know, likely didn't even know who these disciples were. Much less did he know that where he was leading these people in the preparation for this meal was going to be something that would be passed on to Christians for thousands of years. No, he was just a man carrying a jar. And we can dismiss him as saying, well, big deal. And yet he was the right person at the right place to be used by God for the right purpose. That was his unique mission. No career plan. He's not necessarily called to carry jars the rest of his life. But what he was needed for, he did at that moment for a very specific purpose. And so I want to say to us today, and those of you watching online, I think it's time to rethink how we look at God's will. Because I think a lot of us have boxed ourselves into a view of God's will that doesn't release us and free us to, to truly live out who God's made us to be. We've seen God's will as this plan, and we often don't feel like we're part of the plan, and we feel like we're getting it wrong. And so instead of you know, experiencing God's will in a freeing way, it, it, it seems to take a lot of Christians hostage to the point where they become so discouraged that they can't discover it that they give up looking. So I want to talk about this a little bit. And so the first, I want to look at it in two ways. The first thing we need to do in order to rethink God's will is this. Your doing comes from your being. That what God is going to call you to do as your unique mission will come from your unique identity. We need to stop focusing on getting clarity to, you know, from the way we live our lives and from the things that we do in our lives, we need to discover first who we are, recognizing that your doing will come from your being. However, we really, uh, you know, when we really think about you know, this, we need to recognize that our character will have a more profound impact than the things that we do. What you do, what, you know, sorry, who you are matters more than what you do. We've all, we've all heard that, but very often when it comes to God's will, we are focused far more on the doing. So let's pause for a moment and let's go back to, you know, back in January when we opened the, you know, the series and looked at our core mission. 
We took this from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11, where it says, With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. Paul's prayer here for the church in Thessalonica was for them to be guided entirely by their faith in Jesus, that they would be found worthy of his calling. In other words, that who they were, that out of that there would be fruit, that out of who they were, you know, they would accomplish Christ's mission. It's the simple idea of the fullness of Jesus in me would overflow to affect other people. So the first and foremost priority then is for us to understand our being, to understand who we are in Christ. Who you are will determine what you do. Sadly, I think a lot of Christians, we've reversed this. We've, we've made it all about who we, you know, all about the things that we do. And we think that in our doing, we will discover our identity. In Galatians, a letter to a church that was really struggling, Paul outlines the spirit, the fruit of the spirit. And look, look at what he says, and most of you have probably heard this before. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is the fruit that the Spirit produces in us when we invite Jesus into our hearts and allow the Spirit to dwell in us. When we give our lives to Jesus, when we take on the identity of Jesus into our lives, this is the fruit that the Spirit produces in us. It's not the other way around. We do not get this fruit by doing, you know, we don't, sorry, let me say it this way. We don't get the, our identity in Christ by doing love, joy, peace, patience, those things. Out of our identity comes this fruit. So why do so many Christians seem to be stuck when it comes to understanding God's mission for them? Quickly, there's two things. And I don't want you to miss this. First, it's because so many Christians, and I talked about this a lot last week, so many Christians have never truly wrestled with their unique identity. So many Christians have just never taken the time to say, who am I really? I understand that I'm a child of God. But what is my unique identity? How have I been uniquely made? And very often, we've actually dismissed it as boasting when we, when we try to discover who we are. Remember, your doing comes from your being. And so let's not neglect our core identity, but let's also strive to understand how am I uniquely made? What, what is unique about me that God wants to use? Secondly, as we already touched on this, is because we focus so much on doing. The reality is we just, we can't stop doing stuff. For example, you need to go to work to pay for your bills and, and provide food and, and shelter and all those things. And so you have to do. And then you find something that you enjoy doing. And so you assume that because you enjoy this and because you're good at it, this must be who you are. Look at even how we raise our children. What's the number one question we ask kids, especially once they're in high school? Ask any teenager this and say, if you're in high school, what are you asked all the time. And the answer is, what are you doing after school? What do you plan on doing with your life? And so many of us parents, we've actually focused so much on, you know, guiding our kids on what to do with their life that we haven't really spent time focusing on them discovering who they are. 
And so what happens? A student graduates from high school, they go to university or college, and they go and they invest thousands of dollars to learn to do something thinking that this is who they are. And then after they graduate, they, they now get into the work field and, and they start working to, to do the thing that they've been trained to do, all the while unsure of who they really are. And I've seen this cycle played out many, many times. I remember a young adult guy years ago sitting in my office, <laughs> crying away, and I shouldn't laugh at that, but he was crying, and, and he just was completely burdened, and, and we're talking about this, and, and he's two years into his career, and he spent a lot of money, and he spent most of his high school years focusing on this career, and he was good at what he did, but he hated it, hated it, and so as we're talking, he, he you know, I'm, I'm trying to help him flush out, like, well, what are we doing, and where do you, why do you feel this way, and I'll never forget his answer. He says, this isn't me. I'm good at it. I've invested a lot of money into it, but this isn't me. And he was realizing that just because I'm doing this, what I'm doing does not determine who I am. And so a lot of Christians, the reason we sometimes feel stuck in discovering God's will is we've placed so much emphasis on, under, on doing, and we think that in our doing we have discovered our identity. A second way to rethink God's will is to realize that it is not necessarily about doing one thing for the rest of your life. You may find a common theme, you may find a link between God's calling and, and the things you're doing, but often we need to realize that God's will for your life is not necessarily a career plan. This is why it's so important for us to stay true to our core mission, to be disciples of Jesus, to live for Jesus, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing. That If I'm, I'm doing this work or this work, my core, I, my core mission is to be a disciple for Jesus first and foremost. So when we are looking to discover God's unique mission for you, we must first make sure that it lines up with our core mission. And secondly, we need to understand that it may not be something that we are called to do every single day. I think most of us picture God's will, and when we think of God's will, we look at people like Moses, and we think of David, and we think of Paul, and we, we think of people like Billy Graham and Mother Teresa, where their God's will for their lives really meant that it was what they did every single day. And so we look at people like that and we're like, man, if I could only understand God's will for my life so that I could do, you know, live my life in such a way that it encompasses everything that I do, like often the heroes of our faith. But the reality is that for many of us, that's not the case. And thankfully, the Bible also tells us about people who their unique mission didn't necessarily encompass their entire life. For example, look at Jonah. Jonah was called to preach a message of repentance in Nineveh. Look at Nehemiah, who was called to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild a broken wall. Look at Noah, who was called to build an ark, um, an, an ark a boat. People like Deborah, who were called to be a judge to lead the people of Israel. People like Lydia in Philipp, uh, Philippi, who became likely the first convert in Philippi and who provided shelter for Paul as he, and his companions when they came to that city. Each of them was living out their core mission and then at least they in one unique place they were used for a very specific person. We don't know what happened to them for the rest of their lives. Nineveh, I mean Nehemiah was a great leader and a visionary 
But often visionaries and people who are good in leadership in crisis are not necessarily good leaders when the crisis is over. And so we don't know what happened to Nineveh, I mean, uh, Nehemiah sorry, um, after that. Look at Noah. Did Noah spend the rest of his life building boats or showing off the one he had built? We don't know. Look at Lydia. She may have never encountered Paul again, but in that unique moment, God used her to start Paul's ministry in Europe. So what I want to challenge you with is to begin to rethink God's will for your life and saying it comes first and foremost from your identity, who you are, and secondly, to consider the fact that God's will for your life may be right now for a brief moment. And that when you discover God's will, it, it isn't necessarily a career plan. It isn't something that you will necessarily be called to do the rest of your life. Does that mean it's not important? Of course not. Some of you may find that God's will for you does require a complete shift in everything that you do. But some of you are going to discover that God's will for your life is to do what he has called you to do in a unique way right where you are. He may all of a sudden nudge you and say, you are the one I want to go talk to that person at your workplace. You are the one who I want to use in your neighborhood. I'm not asking you to leave your neighborhood. I'm not asking you to become a full-time missionary. But right where you are, that's where I want to use you to connect with that specific person. So it's important for us to spend the necessary time to understand who we are then. To understand our unique talent, our passion, and our burden. So... This week, the homework is, I want you to wrestle with these three questions. And I hope that these three questions are going to give you clarity that outlines, you know, um, who you are again. It lines up very nicely with last week's. But let's look at these three questions. What are my natural talents and abilities? I want you to ask yourself that question. What are my natural talents and abilities? What are the things that you are just naturally gifted at doing? Sometimes natural talents get dismissed. We, we treat them as like, oh, you know, whatever, yeah, I'm good at this. But we always think that, well, if God's will for my life must be to do something I'm not good at, something I haven't discovered yet. The other thing that I've often found is that people, they use simplistic words to describe their natural talent that diminishes it or that doesn't help us to really embrace the importance of it. So think about this, for example. You might hear someone say, I'm good with people. It's too broad, that's too vague, it's too simplistic. I'm, I'm good with people. Well, let's dive in and let's ask some you know, uh, you know, secondary questions to that, some follow-up questions to that. What if you would say, I'm good with people, but then we would ask, like, well, what kind of people? What, which group of people? Well, I'm really good at people who feel neglected. I'm really good at you know, speaking to a large group of people. I'm, I'm good at making people feel welcomed. I'm, I'm good with minority groups. See, now suddenly we begin to dive in a little bit more and we say, oh, I'm good with people, but really I'm good with this select group of people. And now it helps us to narrow in and say, okay, you're good with people who feel neglected. Well, guess what? I, I wonder if God has a unique gifting for you in that area, and most likely he does. And that would help us then to understand a little bit better what it is that you know, our natural talents and abilities may require of us. So this takes time. This takes you looking over your life and saying, so what are the things that I'm, I'm naturally good at? And you might say, well, I'm naturally gifted at art. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Or I'm naturally gifted at this. So you begin to dig in more and more. Ask people around you. What are some things that you see that I'm naturally gifted at? 
Then ask the follow-up question, and the question might be something like this. Give me an example of when you've seen this in me. Give me, a, give me an example of when you've seen this natural ability being used by me. And I think that that's going to help you narrow in a little bit more. And this is where I'm just going to put a real quick plug in for this book, Strength Finder. If you buy this book, at the back you get a free test. This book is an amazing tool that gives words to natural abilities that we often don't use. I won't tell you mine, but it gave me my top five themes for my life out of 34. And I'll be honest with you, when I saw my number one, <laughs> I didn't believe it. So I sheepishly went to my wife and I said, this tells me I am this. And my wife said, not a chance. Not a chance. That's not you. So we read the definition some more. We, we spent time looking and, and we prayerfully worked through this. And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, that is exactly who I am. I've just never used that word for it. But I can tell you right now that that word has brought clarity to my life. That word actually all of a sudden is like, that's why when certain things are done or said to me, that's why it hurts so much. That's why it bothers me so much when this and this happens or when it doesn't happen. So this would be one strength finder, uh, would be a great tool um, if you want. It, it's not free, but it's a great tool for you if you want. Second question you have to ask yourself, what am I passionate about? What is something that you are passionate about? This is something that energizes you. This is something that recharges you. If you want to discover what you're passionate about, here's a great question to ask yourself to discover it. What is something I'm willing to do if I wouldn't get paid for? What is something I'm willing to do if I wouldn't get paid to do it? That's usually a pretty clear indication of what you are passionate about. Here's maybe a few. Maybe you're passionate about truth, about personal rights, equal opportunity, Working with excellence, integrity, supporting others, being part of something bigger. You don't have to be paid to do any of those things. That is something that you are passionate about and you want to see done. This is something you would do whether you are alone or whether you are paid. You want to accomplish these things because this is what drives you. This is what you are passionate about. And then the third question is this. What am I most burdened by? The things that burden you shape you. It shapes your thinking. Now, don't be surprised when you go through this exercise that you will find this one actually fairly difficult. Because it will mean that you need to dig in deep. Here you will need to spend significant time in prayer. Asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, to reveal to you what burdens your heart. Don't confuse this one with passion. Don't confuse this one with what you're passionate about. Before I became a Christian, for example, I wanted to be a police officer. Man, I wanted to be a police officer. And I've told you this before, and I'm sorry for sharing it again. I was sure that this was going to be my career plan. Over the years, I have been told multiple times, or I've been encouraged multiple times by some people in my life to enter politics. Yeah, let's move on. I've also been a pastor for 20 years. You take those three things, and there's a common thread. Now, some of you might be like, power. No, that's not what I'm looking for. There's a common thread. Does, can any of you catch it? People. I've come to understand that I have a burden for people. And I experience this everywhere I go. I drive through Leamington, and I've had these conversations with people, and people will say, I don't see that. 
Yeah, I have a burden for people that I see hurting people where I go. And so that's something I can't ignore. That's something I believe God has given me. So now I need to take this burden. This is what burdens me. I have a passion and I have natural abilities. And I need to tie those all together so that I can truly live out the plan that God has for my life. And it is in the immediate and it might be in the long term. But what I need to do is I need to understand what is my burden, what is my passion, and what are my natural abilities. And I need to recognize that all of that comes from my identity, not in what I do. So I want to leave you with these thoughts. Colossians chapter 3, verses 17 says this. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 3, 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So above all of this, I want to say this. As you are striving to discover your unique mission, it is about Jesus first. All of this is, this, is about Jesus. Your unique mission is about Jesus. Our calling starts with Jesus, it is about Jesus, it is for Jesus, and it is to lead people to Jesus. Our core mission, whether our, core, our mission, whether our core mission or our unique mission, is found in Jesus first and foremost. You do not discover these things so that you can make a lot of money, that you can be popular. You discover these things so that you can better understand where God wants to use you and how he wants to use you. So I challenge you with this. Go and discover who you are. Discover your abilities. Discover your passion. Discover your burden. And then invite God as he reveals these things to you to open your eyes to seeing exactly how he wants to use you. And we'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that there is not a single person in this place um, whom you haven't gifted in a unique way. We thank you so much, God, that there's not a single person in this room who isn't called right now to a purpose greater than themselves. So I pray now as a congregation, pray <clears throat> for all of us. I pray that we would take the time to discover ourselves, to know ourselves. Holy Spirit, would you lead us in this? And for some of us, it's going to line up with what we're already doing. For some of us, it may really cause us to rework our lives. I pray for obedience for all of us. That it would be about you. And that we would accomplish that which you have called us to. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you very much for being here. God bless you. And again, we'll start with...